Hello and welcome to the Dynamo Faithful Podcast. I'm your host, the Sinsky Man, and with me is Kyle. Howdy. And Jake. I, I can try and be happy this week. Let's go. <laughs> We've got a recap of the match against Austin, a discussion on where the Dynamo are at and how the rebuild is going, our rival watch, and we're prophesying over DC United. Let's get to it. So we had a uh, pretty disheartening defeat to Austin FC 2-1. Jake, what is your stat of the game? So I think to, to really feel this story, feel this game the way that I felt it when I was when I was melting in that stadium, the stat that tells that story is 61% possession to Austin, to the Broccoli Football Club. Yeah. Uh, not just that, they completed... Uh, or just around 200 more passes than the Dynamo did. So that tells the story of how I felt when I left that stadium. But when I watched my rewatch, uh, when I viewed the game again with less emotional eyes, the stat that really says the game to me here is that we had 1.5 expected goals to Broccoli's 0.6, right? We had the chances in this game. We didn't have the possession. We didn't we weren't proactive with the ball. We sat back, we hit on the counter and it was a heartbreaking game, but it wasn't devoid of good moments. It wasn't devoid of chances. Thor had, had one chance that we really felt could go in. Uh, Another chance went to Tim Parker, who it was, it was a good opportunity for someone who we do not pay a million dollars to, to score goals. He's Uh, not a striker. you're not a striker. You, you want to see your strikers finish those chances, but when it's your when it's your big bulky redheaded center back, you you know you kind of give them a little bit of grace. And we had the opportunities even outside of that that Sevis wonder goal. We had the opportunities to win. We just couldn't. We couldn't do it. Yeah, what a freaking goal! I oh I listened to the Dyna Bros, and the good was Steve <laughs> Clark, who I got ragged on for picking. <laughs> When we have probably the goal of the season five minutes into the game, I lost my mind listening to you guys. (laughs) I couldn't believe that. Kyle, what did it feel like being at the game? Because I watched from home, and it's it felt like a fairly close game on TV. My rewatch, I felt like we had a lot of chances. But again, on the Dyna Bros, it felt like y'all watched a 5-0 defeat. There was some sort of disconnect, and I want to know what I missed out on. Listen, I'll tell you, it felt like watching the game like a freaking king in sweet seats. I'll tell you that. Poor Jake had to sit up there in the, in the hot, hot sun. Mm. I had a nice little uh, little balcony outside of an air-conditioned room with drinks and food. We that was about rich. Uh, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> uh, I, I did receive those tickets from a dear friend, so no, no wealth was spent on those tickets. The game was uh, was really interesting. It started off so well with that Sebas goal. The atmosphere was lively, even though the Austin fans were nearly or as loud as the Houston fans. They showed up in mass. They were there. They, they were present. And I think everybody knew that that's, that's how it was going to be. We're trying to get the fans back in the stadium. But right. after that Sebas goal in the fifth minute or so, the, the first half was such an interesting pace. All in all, it was just a very strange feeling in the stadium being outplayed at home, knowing that we were going to sit back holding on to a 1-0 lead early in the game. It was just really tricky to like be excited about the rest of the game that was about to happen. Yeah. Jake, what was up with that? Why why are we sitting back at home? I thought we were going to be a possession team. Nagamura did call out the players uh, in his interview with the, the Bayou Sidian. Go and go and follow that fella on Twitter. He knows what he is about. His articles are always on point. I do want to add to what Kyle was saying about being there in the stadium and why it was so tough. I would put this in my bottom three worst moments ever at PNC Stadium. Uh, wow. Probably for sure. I watched us. You know, I, I, my hope was dashed when we when we didn't win the Western Conference, when we got beat by Seattle in 2017, it was a rough moment. But never have I had to watch so many opposing fans get to leave happier than me. Um, and I, I'm not going to be here to begrudge Austin's following. I'm not going to be here to be jealous of it. Happy for him. That's great. You're new, you're shiny, and right now you're really good. But last year, last year when Austin came to town, we beat him. Right. And so I, I had to watch their fans cheer, but I got to watch them leave sad. <laughs> and this game, 
after I, I, you know, I meet up with Kyle and Manny, we're, we're walking over to Eighth Wonder and we have to stop and wait to watch the Austin supporters walk out in a celebratory fashion. And that was a new low for me uh, as a Dynamo fan. Kyle, you had something else to add? Yeah, we walked past their three buses full of traveling supporters <laughs> and on our way to Eighth Wonder to wash down our sorrows with a good <laughs> with a good brew. You 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 mentioned that the the vibe of the Dynabros episode felt like we had lost five nil. And honestly, Sinski, it felt like we had lost five nil. We lost two one away at Dallas last week, and now we're losing two one at home to Austin. It is just it was hard to stomach and yeah, it, it felt like a much bigger loss. And this is what I love about rewatching the game after is that it does give you a reminder of the positive things that the team did, yeah. the direction yeah. that we were trying to go, looking at some of the highlights of some of our players that we're really hoping are going to pull through, seeing Memo play well, seeing Thor and Zeka uh, and uh, Tiago come on and get good minutes. So, yeah, I, I'm trying to be a little more peppy and, and excited about the Dynamo in general, but that Dyna Bros experience, it was sad. And joining us late, Scroggins, give me your take on the game. Oh, hey, fellas. It's uh, sorry that I'm late. Um, but uh, yeah, the game was um, for me, it, it was like the first 20 minutes or so was really bright. It was looked yeah. really good from us. Quintero and Mimo were just like, I mean, there's one point where Quintero dribbled, I think, three Austin players down the midfield. And I want to say it was around the 20th minute. And it mm -hmm. was just beautiful. I, like, I remember just leaping, literally standing up out of my chair while I'm watching the game because it's just like, oh, this is going to be magic, you know, because we already had like the one goal lead at that point. And it looked like everybody was playing with lots and lots of confidence. But then then, you know, like Austin scores and immediately after that, you see everybody's head drop. And uh, that's the thing that worried me uh, is is just the overall demeanor of the team. It, it looked like we just weren't resilient, like we weren't emotionally resilient. I don't know if it was still a little bit of hangover from uh, the Dallas game, because that was that was a heartbreaker. That it one was. really, really was bad. Yeah. Um, and I could understand if it takes us a bit to recover from that. So I don't know if it was hangover from that. Or if it was a straight up hangover from the last seven years where it really has just been a beatdown where it's just like, oh, OK, mm -hmm. here we go again. You know, like, is this what it feels like to be a Detroit Lions fan? You know, like, is <sighs> is that like, you know, um, I'll have to. Are we the Browns? It. Yeah, I don't think we're quite the Browns. That's got to be D.C. <laughs> United, right? Yeah. Um, I, I really do think it. It's not as bad as it feels. Austin really is a top of the table team. And um, but we can't ignore the fact that it feels really bad because it has been a lot of this over the last seven years. We we have, you know, a, a bunch of us have been following this club and remember what it looked like when we played in the Robertson. And we remember like I remember going to the playoff games in 2010, 2011 and just knowing what we were and then seeing us lose at home to an in-state rival, especially when we were up one nil and we yeah. we could have pushed for a second. That yeah. I think that's I think that's what we're all kind of feeling. Is it, it's just like this baggage that is dragging us down, you know? In just a second, I'm going to challenge you on that, Scroggins, because I do think that we we did push for another goal, but I do want to give a shout out, Kyle. You were talking about how there were so many Austin fans. The surge supporter group they sent a whole bunch of people to frisco and really partied it up there in that game and i thought that they were going to get to to leave on a on a on a win or a draw but it turned out not to be the case i know the austin fans got to celebrate but shout out to them they really are getting the houston fans together and moving out there so to challenge great tifos oh my gosh oh, that, that tifo, tifo. Yeah. That was, that was the real. That's what I should have said was the good. That was that yeah. might have been better than the goal. Mm, that, that was goal. beautiful. That's a goal. That was beautiful. I don't know if it was better than the goal, but it was definitely better than the game. Um, there we go. Yeah, that's fair. I was did being you, hyperbolic. Yeah. Did you see they're making T-shirts out of it? Like, like yes. you can buy that on a T-shirt now. And I, I, I was tempted. Kyle I think producer producer Ian told us he wanted a, a tank top, so we're gonna send him one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Producer Ian, come on, man. Sun's out, gun's out, bro. Do it. But I do want to say the Dynamo really were pushing. And again, in the moment, it didn't feel like it. 
But when you go back and you rewatch, Jake, I'm going to send this to you. The XG, Houston was 1.5. Broccoli FC, six tenths. So we were pushing. We were, we, Darwin Quintero shot some lasers that just were, took incredible saves. And there were so many chances. Jake, expound on this. <laughs> I'll do my best to back you up, but it's not going to feel like it as I keep going. Uh, I'll tell you that right now. Um, I think that we were we were trying. We were looking for a way to get back into the game. I feel like we we seeded the possession battle way too quickly, and we were looking to hit Fafa over the top. I lost count of the number of times that our way to play out of pressure was to uh, lob it forward to Fafa, let him chase it down. And here's the thing. That's fine, right? We've seen some of... Uh, Sebas's limits just like we've seen some of his strengths and one of his limits all season has been that he's not great at hold-up play so lobbing it forward to Fafa is a great idea I think our problem was that we were trying to create chances too quickly right too often I was seeing Fafa and maybe Sebas or Fafa and Quintero or god forbid with the form he's been on uh Fafa and and Pasher running at six Austin defenders. That's just not going to come off. We need to lob it forward to someone and then hold the ball up somehow, right? Let the team get forward. Let Sebas get forward from where he's defending and in Tim Parker's back pocket or something, right? Let him get forward on the field to create your chances that way. We did have better XG from this game. I don't think we played better than Austin. I I think that would be a really tough argument to make. And I think our XG speaks to the types of chances we created, right? Remember that XG is just about where that shot is being taken from. So our two biggest XG events, our two best chances, one of them I think was a beautiful chance. And it was very ironically from a cross from Darwin Seren. Uh, that's not the Darwin that I expect to be creating chances, but he sends this cross uh, to Thor. Thor manages to get his head on it, even though it is like a laser beamed cross goes over. It doesn't it's it's wayward, right? It doesn't make it uh, on target. But that was right. one of our biggest XG moments. Like that's that's a moment that should have been a goal. Our other big XG event was Coco lobbing a ball into Tim Parker, who, as we mentioned earlier, Tim Parker, good defender, you know, nine out of 10 days, I would take him as my center back. I think this was that 10th day. Unfortunately, he didn't have a great game, Uh, but I think maybe one out of 100 days, I would take him as my striker. Uh, And so while he was in a great spot, uh, he did not do well with the shot. I I will say that we put five shots on target. So for the fact that we only had about 40% possession, we put the same number of shots on target that Austin did. We were in this game. Like we weren't yeah. necessarily played off the pitch. We weren't necessarily embarrassed entirely, right? The embarrassing part of this was losing at home. Losing to an in-state rival, right? Losing at home. It wasn't that we didn't play well. We played we didn't play great, but we played okay. There's there's reason for hope here. But chance-wise, I, I feel like we played better than we than we've played almost all season. And I'm I'm not a big fan of us sitting back and absorbing pressure. I don't think we have the players who can do that well. I do think we have players who can receive the ball when we do that. Like you said with Fafa, uh, Pasher on the other side is pretty quick, although he doesn't look it in this Texas Heat right now. We played a lot better than Twitter thinks, than maybe even Reddit thinks. Scroggins, what do you think? I uh, I see your points, and I, I think there a lot of them are valid, right? Um, social media is just a cesspool, you know, and there is no worse version of Twitter than soccer Twitter, um, and, and like that's just it's just how it is. It's fine, um, but the, the troubling for thing for me, Sinski, is that I'm not seeing I'm not seeing our mistakes be corrected. Okay, so the the thing that bothered me the most during the Austin game was not like was not that we were necessarily absorbing pressure. That's fine if that's how we're going to set up or or maybe we're still kind of working the tab system out of us because we did go direct to goal in like two or three passes, which is what tab wanted to do. It's not what Paolo wants to do like uh, that stuff's okay. But what what I kept seeing was huge space between the midfield and the attackers. The attacking four would be way downfield, and 
Austin would be defending with with five or six, and we would have four attackers. But then our midfielders would be—they're not even in camera, right. you know. And in we—I've pointed this gap out before. Uh, I don't know if I did on the pod, but I definitely talked about it in our text group. And I, I have just seen this happen repeatedly and repeatedly, you know, over and over again. Like on that Tim Parker chance on the from the cross from Coco, Tim Parker was standing in the same spot as Sevis. Like they were—they made the same run. That's why Parker's shot was off because Sevis was in his way or he was in Sevis's way, right? Um, and, and we've seen this again and again and again. It's Sevis is making the same runs when he does make runs. He's making the same runs as somebody else. Our midfielders just are not joining in the attack nearly fast enough. I'll say it this way. I am losing hope quickly and losing confidence in Naga very quickly because the problems aren't being corrected. It's one thing. It's one thing if guys are, you know, still adapting to the system, but it's a completely entirely different thing when mistakes, not system stuff, but mistakes are being made and not being uh, corrected. Yeah. And I got to say, we made we did take a lot of chances, but that gap is there. Jake, what do you got about that? Sure. I. What we're seeing is Naga trying to figure out how to make a group of players that did not work last year under any system work in some sort of system. So when we talk about the the huge gap between midfields and attack, that definitely exists. But And this isn't really even a rebuttal, just saying we're still ironing stuff out. For, what, four games, we tried to have Sebas play hold-up striker, and for four weeks we talked on this pod about how that wasn't working. And so now we're finding a new way to play out of the back, right? And right now, as we're playing out of the back, we're moving forward way, way too quickly to let guys like Memo, guys like Vera, guys like Coco catch up, right? But we finally found a way to get out of the back that works. So that is progress. I would say, given what he has, Naga is, he's not setting the world on fire, but he's doing an understandable, maybe even respectable job. We're finding ways to play out of the back. Well, we have a $4 million striker who can't hold up for us. We've not just launched over to Fafa. We've also seen, uh, particularly in this game, uh, Coco begin to dribble us out of that pressure, right? For the first four games, it was, yeah, for the first four or five games, it was all about trying to pass, trying to pass out of pressure, trying to pass out of pressure. Now we're giving Coco the reins like, hey, listen, if you think you can take the player on, just get us forward. Right. That's progress. He needs to progress still because he is still too indecisive once he gets near the 18. He beats midfielders. There were several times where he just dribbled right past them. And I was so impressed. But you're right. He is indecisive in the final third. Continue. Yeah. So once we refine the progress that we've made, I think we can get somewhere good. I'm still going to Ted Lasso this. I'm still going to believe. Okay. I'm about to jump to Kyle, but I just want to say this. I do think that we're progressing. I think we tried possession. I think Naga thinks maybe that's not the best way. And now he is looking at how Tab used to do things, get there quick and see what our fast players can do. I don't think Faf is going to have the season he had last season. And I not a think, and I think that's where the breakdown is. Faf is getting there. And sometimes Sebas is with him. You said this. There's one or two people with him. There's six far behind him and six right in front of him that he has to beat. And Fafa isn't going to beat him. He might be one or two, but he's not going to beat six. Kyle, I miss you. <laughs> I miss you. <laughs> Sinski, I thought, I thought I'd do something fun for you tonight if, we, if, if you'll indulge me. I'm ready. So because it's our lot in life as Dynamo fans to have no fun in life, I thought I'd help make this part fun for you. I'm going to give you a, a little multiple choice question and answer segment here. I'm going to give you four answers and you get to pick one. And that's going to be my rant and or lament for you. Okay. okay. All right. A, Corey Baird. B, MLS referees slash the teenage yellow card. C, fullback's not involved at all in this game. D, I miss Matias Vera. I do miss Matias Vera, but I'm going to say C. Talk to me about these fullbacks. Bro, at the end of the game, when we finally started to see Lundy get up the field, we had Zeka on the field linking up with Tiago, his his Brazilian buddy. They worked so well together. I was was so frustrated that we had not seen any fullback involvement for the last 
80 minutes of soccer. Mm-hmm. Lundy gets credited for the assist because he took a chest, you know, a ball to the chest and gave it up to Sebas there. Good for him. He's got three assists on the season. I think that's the most on our team. And I'm a big Lundy fan, so I'm happy for him. But outside of that, Lundy, every time he received the ball in this game against Austin, you could see in his body positioning that he was just going to give it right back to teenage. There was no desire to get the ball up the field. Jake, you've touched on it with Memo's positioning on the field in this game, limiting what Dorsey could do. All season, we've been talking about Griffin Dorsey bombing up the right flank, giving us that additional pressure on the right side of the field. Dorsey was nowhere to be found in this game. He was Mm -hmm. stuck on the in the back four doing nothing productive for our attack. I don't think he had a bad game. I don't think this was one of his best games. And I think he's a little bit responsible for the first goal, but I miss seeing him getting up the field. And I know it's one game, but man, we did not have any fullback involvement. And when teenage and Tim Parker are not really giving us much delivery out of the back in this game, we just really miss that, you know, additional help from our defense. Teenage looked for Fafa probably three or four times. And I think three or four times Fafa was offside. Like it was, it was painful. So All right. there you go. Yeah. I did notice that our formation or setup in attack was a double pivot with Memo and Coco. And I think that's what prevented the fullbacks from getting forward. Uh, I don't know if y'all have already talked about this or not, but no, but, uh, but yeah, that's what I noticed uh, immediately is that uh, I, I thought that Coco was going to sit deep and play the, the Vera role. Um, but they tried to do a double pivot, and and maybe it was just that little subtle shift that they just threw everything else off. Question for you, Kyle. Austin's got a pretty dynamic attack. They're scoring goals. Is that one of the reasons they kept the fullbacks back? Because they were hoping that, or maybe they felt like they would be more needed defensively, so they didn't want them getting too far ahead and us getting countered instead of the other way around? Yeah, I think the idea is there for sure, but it didn't come off. You know, you look at guys, their they're midfield three of Fagundes, Drusi, and Pereira absolutely ran havoc on our team. If you're going to have that setup where your fullbacks are meant to just aid in defense and lock things down, you got to handcuff Griffin Dorsey to Fagundes. You have to lock down these players that are creating Fagundes. He created everything for their team. So I, I just don't, I didn't see it coming off the way that it should have if that was the plan. I think Dorsey's been good at right back. I know I was uh, begging for Zeka to start, but I do think Dorsey's been good. I don't think he was good enough to stop Fagundes. I don't I don't think he had that ability and I think he did the best he could but there were a couple times where he just he was getting beat out there. I think that's going to happen. He gave him too much space though. I mean, you know yeah, what yeah. the guy is capable of and he's been their key creator this season. And yeah. so you just you have to shut him down and get in his face and frustrate him and foul him and I just don't think we saw enough of that. I mean, in in Fagundes has been a star in MLS since he was 16 years old. Like we yeah. know what he's capable of. I did notice uh in in the first half especially, uh there was seemed to be a lot of miscommunication between Pasher and and Griff on who would cover on the overlapping runs. Yes. I mean, I think Emmett has talked about this, how Pasher is just really weak defensively. Mm-hmm. But I don't really remember that problem being solved when, like, you know, Baird came on the field either. Um, just got to get my, you know, mild butter digs in, I guess. Um, <laughs> There'll be time for that, I'm sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that's been a problem all season, is not knowing if Corey Baird or Pasher or Griffin is going to cover that that winger space back there that wing back area i think they're all thinking the other player is going to be there mm-hmm. and several times this season no one's been there mm-hmm. okay so while we're talking about dorsey's little bit of lacklusterness against fagundis let's talk about individual players jake sebis had the goal of the season and i absolutely. think he had absolutely Oh, okay, I thought you said absolutely not. Totally misheard you. <laughs> Sorry, Faithful. There was about to be a fight through the camera. <laughs> I think Seb has might have had the game of his season so far. Do the stats back that up? I think so. Mainly with Sebas, and we've alluded to this several times, we've been pulling our hair out because his hold-up play has been horrific. I think every week I've talked about his receiving stat, that he's at like 50% receiving. He can only keep the ball. He can only get the ball without losing it. 
about 50% of the time. Against Austin, because we changed what we asked of him, we we had DQ play a little bit higher than him and, and let DQ try to hold the ball up, not with his big, strong frame, but with his just scientific touch. And instead allowed <laughs> Ferreira into areas that he was a little bit more comfortable without the ball. Sevis was at 73.3% receiving this game, which is huge wow. for him. Absolutely huge. He only gave the ball away. He's only credited with being dispossessed one time this game. This is what we wanted to see. And it's not just uh, what he wasn't doing poorly, right? He had the goal of the season, but even outside of that, he did a better job of getting the ball off of his feet quickly, right? He'd get the ball. He he knows now. He's adjusting to the MLS. He knows these defenders are going to be on him. They're looking for him. They know about him. So he's quickly moving the ball to DQ. Or even when he's keeping the ball, he's quickly making the decision to dribble forward into space that he sees before he several times today, pushes the ball out wide to the winger. We're beginning to see from Sebas what we paid four-plus million dollars for. Golazos, but also combination play, right? So I'm very, very encouraged by what I saw from Sebas. Even at the game, I was like, you know, Sebas actually had a better game. While I was in the depths of my sadness, I thought Sebas looked better. On my rewatch, I was even more impressed. I think Sebas is starting to look like the real deal, starting to look like he wasn't a bust. I do think there's there's a couple of other players we could highlight as having a pretty wonderful game, but I would hate to take that thunder away from Christopher Scroggins. Yeah, uh, Memo's best game, hands down, right, guys? Absolutely. So good. Easily. He looked great. Yeah. <laughs> That's, let's just all pause and... And enjoy this moment. <laughs> it was decent. It was a good game. Get out of here I'll with the cash. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'll jump about? in on this. So Memo, his whole career, we've kind of thought of him as a creator. Whether he was a good creator or a bad creator was, was up for debate. Or not up for debate at times, unfortunately. What we saw from him against Austin was a weird amount of defensive chops. I did not see this coming. I sent out into the group text like, hey, this midfield doesn't have any teeth whatsoever. Yep. Memo had three tackles on the day and two interceptions. He was a pest. He didn't necessarily look like someone who's played defense their entire life. And I'm not sure that he's going to sustain this performance all season. I think he just felt that Texas rivalry. He just hated Austin so much that he pestered their attackers into giving him the ball time and time again. And it was a wonderful thing to see. If he could keep up this type of performance, and listen, that remains to be seen. But in my mind, he's playing himself into the question of what our best midfield three is, even after Herrera gets here. Right. No. If he can play like that week in, week out, do we want to see him in a uh, single pivot dual eight role? If he can play like this week in, week out, or can we see him as someone who gets those sub minutes and helps close out games and helps keep the ball? For sure, this is the best I've seen from him. I will eat crow on this and say he he played wonderfully. And if he can do this again and again and again, He's not a USL player. He's, okay. He's okay. the third best ball carrier we have in the midfield. He carries the ball forward better than anyone else except for DQ and Coco. Like that's that'll change when Hector gets here, I'm sure. But he carries the ball forward better than Vera. Vera is better passing, way better positioning. But when you want to carry the ball forward, Memo Memo's better at that. And, and Until it really it's time showed. to pass. But if you're the third best at something that there are only like in two a, positions for. In a midfield of I, I don't three, know what Jake, to tell you. A, we have three-man midfield, Jake. Yeah, but so we have we have we a, play a double pivot. We have how a many, double pivot. How okay, many people I'll, in the midfield? I'll let you. How many people in the midfield? Two, because Darwin Quintero basically plays a striker. <laughs> He's an attacker. I, I included DQ in the in my caveat there, but uh, you know, I guess you weren't really listening. Go back to looking at your stats, Barry. <laughs> Kyle, we were shaking our head. Jake said that Mimo might have played his way into the starting three. This is this was a random blip of a game. Mimo couldn't cut it against the usl do y'all not remember that kyle please please talk some sense here i i don't think i can uh go that far since ski 
because I like Memo. But <laughs> I think it's important to remember that he was used as a stopgap in this game. Sure. He had a great game, fully on board with that. The the bar was pretty low for him to have a great game. And what I'm going to say again is, you know who else was driving the ball forward really well before Memo stepped on the field? Is Griffin Dorsey. And then Memo took his spot, basically. And now Griffin did nothing this game. So <laughs> That's true. So I'm not on board with Memo taking all those minutes and Griff not being able to be utilized on the right side of the field. No, no, hear me out. Do you remember back in the day growing <laughs> up, right? Back in the day growing up, watching the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and yep. the Green Ranger shows up and he's the bad guy. But then when he turns good guy, his Dragon Zord combined with the other Mechazord and made something even better. That's Memo and Griffin Dorsey. Just give him another game. Like 100%. We will lose that game eight to nothing if they both try to bomb up the field and play the same thing. <laughs> and no, the no, next no. game, in the next game. You understand? That's a bad idea. You need idea. to go back, Jake, you need to go back and watch Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> I've watched a lot because my kids are into it. You're that's just right. forgetting how awesome Tommy the Green Ranger was. That's that's really what the problem is. That's okay. True. There, were, there were more players on the pitch, and some of them came on later in the game. That's right. We call them substitutes. <laughs> I've given Nagamora a lot of trouble about subs in the past, but I was, for the most part, pretty excited about what he did with the bench. Kyle, earlier you gave me four multiple choice rant options, and Corey Baird was one of them. I want to talk about Baird now. He subbed on. What do you think? Sinski, I have a confession to make. In this game, in any game that I've watched, I have never screamed the words, insert player name here, you suck. And I did this at this game and it was directed at Corey Baird. And I did feel a little bit bad about it because there were children sitting literally right behind me. (laughs) (laughs) However, he was awful. He came on and gave us nothing. And I know Jake's already looking to try to try to defend him slightly. He did not do enough. You're going to say he made a few good runs. Everybody on the field can make a few good runs. That's not true. Unfortunately. (laughs) Okay. Most professional, most professional soccer players that play in the attack can make decent runs. Hey, our center back made one of the best runs of the game. This guy, this guy absolutely uh, whiffed a ball coming right to him on a great interception in the middle of the field. Big Dude, yeah. I, that, yeah, that's that's where I stood up and told him how I felt about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he he had one redeemable moment where he put a good cutback cross into Thor where Thor should have done better. I yeah. will say that. But he mm-hmm. did. He gave us nothing. He looked Jake said this on Dynabros. He looked tired coming onto the field. <laughs> and I don't just mean tired. I mean, it looked like he had just played 90 minutes elsewhere. And then joined this game as like a backup option because we couldn't find anybody else to play in his position. It was so frustrating to watch that sub be made because from where I was sitting, it was hard to see who was coming on. And then it was like, oh, no, it's Corey Baird. Oh, no. And then it just didn't go well for him and didn't go well for our team. And we lost momentum in the attack. And yeah, it was frustrating. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he take a shot in this game and it went straight to the keeper from about like five feet away from him again? (laughs) I don't know how this guy can't find the back of the net within five feet of the goal. I'm yeah. I'm not saying I could do better, but I'm just <laughs> I'm just blown away how this guy who's who came to us as a center forward can't get the ball in the back of the net. It's like mind blowing to me. It's his job. Ugh. Best part about that play, he was offside anyway. So he's credited with not even a shot on target. Let's also not forget that we paid $750,000 for his transfer. So much gam. So much. And I don't even know what that means. (laughs) No one does. Monopoly money. But Thor also came on, and I was a big fan of the two-striker idea. I think, mm-hmm. though I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Naga's tactics, I do like that he's willing to try things out. I feel like going to two strikers was like a cool move to see at home. Hey, we're going to try and get a goal. We're going to try and get back in this game. I really liked that. Jake, what do you think about Thor's inability to break the duck? It's a bit frustrating. It it would honestly be more frustrating if he had been starting all of these games. Sub minutes are real minutes, and he's gotten good sub minutes. You've, you've pointed good, that man. out. Yeah, you've pointed that out on this pod before, and I didn't argue with you. You're right. It can be hard to find a rhythm as a sub, uh, and it is frustrating to see him not score because he's doing so much right. Uh, he's almost the, the inverse of Sebas right now. Sebas is scoring goals actually at a reasonable rate at this point, 
but he's only right. just now he's only just now starting to look like he's uh, a player outside of the goal scoring part of the game. Thor, on the other hand, can't find the back of the net. And, and I've seen this circulate a little bit. Maybe a, a couple games with Dynamo 2 would help him out. I think maybe trying to find a rhythm, scoring some goals with Dynamo 2 would be good. The only problem is if we send him down, our backup striker becomes none other than Corey Baird. Wolf. Yeah. I did think Tiago looked okay, though, in his in his first real MLS minutes. Um, definitely not perfect, and I think he benefited from being on the same side with Zeka, someone that he can communicate with very clearly, and they seem to have a good understanding. Not all of his ideas came off, but there were several times where he would have like a little clever flick to himself. Uh, that maybe it rolled out of bounds, but it was just nearly. And, and you can see he's going to come in and provide a little bit more spark and a little bit more idea uh, than some of our other wingers. Scroggins, what do you have to say about that? I I kind of disagree with you guys. Uh, I don't think that um, I don't think any of those subs really made sense. To be honest, I and and I haven't seen a really um, intelligent uh, substitution pattern materialized from Naga. It looks like to me, everyone was excited about the subs because he was subbing on players we want to see. Like, we want to see Zeka. We want to see what Zeka can do. We want to see Tiago for sure. We want to see what he can do. When Thor comes on, we're excited because everyone loves Thor. We just love what he's about, you know? But why? What's the plan? Like, it, it feels like Naga is just throwing people on at this point. Like, I guess pull a midfielder and throw on another forward. Like, it, it, it just... It doesn't feel like there's any kind of plan B. There's it doesn't feel like there's any kind of uh, marching orders. The subs come on like, hey, exploit this thing or try and do this thing. It just seems like he is literally FM, man FM managering, like swapping people out, you know, and, and there's no plan. There's no dynamism. And it's really distressing. Jake, what is the sub plan? Well, it changes every game. Against Austin, the sub plan to me is pretty clear. You bring on Baird for Pasher because he has more MLS experience and he has supposedly energy, though, again, he did look tired coming on uh, late in the game, which was very frustrating. And at first, I would agree with you about Seren. Now, personally, I'm over Seren. I don't want to see him on the field anymore. I want his minutes to go to Juan Castilla, who can at least develop into a better player, right? That has to But happen. absolutely, absolutely. But bringing that player on, at first I was like, that's a defensive move, right? You're taking out uh, an attacking midfielder and putting in a defensive midfielder. But there were absolutely marching orders when those players came on the field. You could watch Sarin come on and try to communicate to the team that he was going to be playing a single pivot defensive midfielder, which was a tactical change to get Memo and Coco further up the pitch to try to win the game. Now, it didn't pan out. Unfortunately, the exact opposite happened right away. So we can talk about the plan not working, maybe the plan even being not a great plan because of the personnel you're putting out there. I was not happy with who the subs were at all. But I think that we're going a step too far if we're saying the guy doesn't have a plan with the subs he's making. I mean, sure, for this game, I guess you can make that argument. But why switch to a single pivot when Memo is the one that comes off the field? Uh, like Memo didn't next, come off the field. It was The GQ. next round of subs, he did. The next round of subs, he absolutely did. He he got subbed off for Tiago. Yeah, yeah. So you you like that's consistent with going for the win, though, right? When Tiago was put on, it was a completely different situation. Suddenly, right. we're down a goal. We what, can second not... guess the coach all day long. He is new, and he's not going to get it right all the time. But to he say should he, be second guessed. Yeah, that's fine. We can second guess him, but we also have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. Like you are talking about a new coach. You're talking about someone who's not going to get it right all the time. And you're talking about someone with a substandard roster. Right. He's doing he's trying to do what he can with the players he has. I think over the course of this season, I have not seen any kind of logic to the subs. Maybe I'm missing it. Maybe I'm I'm thinking back to, I don't know, the USL match where we threw, you know, Junkwa up as a left winger for whatever reason. And we completely lucked out that he scored a goal, you know, like there just doesn't seem to be any any kind of plan B with these subs. And and I will die on the hill. And I, and I hope I'm wrong. I want Naga to be smart. I want Naga to be a good coach 
so bad. I'm just sure. not convinced. I'm I'm just not convinced. I'm not totally sold that he's a great coach yet. I just think nine games in is a small sample size for a very new coach. We'll see, right? Like I, I think uh, someone mentioned this in in our in our Google Doc that there are people that are done with Naga already, and I think that that is foolhardy. Yeah. I think you have to have more patience with a new coach, just like you have to have more patience with a new player. Right? We were a bit ridiculous for calling uh, for Seba's head after three games, after yeah, four games. Of, of not doing well, right? I, I'll eat crow on that. Like that's a small sample size to make such a huge judgment. And I also think part of this is me reacting against what I see on Twitter and reacting against, ironically, reacting against reactionary takes. Let's all take a breath. We're on a really, really crappy two-game losing streak, but that doesn't mean that everything sucks. Yeah, I, I'm just saying a quarter of the season is gone, and uh, and, and my three, three and three, and my confidence is no higher uh, than it was um, under tab. So I do like to watch best friends fight it out. Oh, this, is, <laughs> this was nice. Kyle and I are just sitting back, popping some popcorn, watching you guys. But I do think all that conversation about Naga, about his tactics, we need to look at the Dynamo as a whole. We need to have realistic, lowered expectation. Okay, We finished last in the West last season. Austin was a brand new team. And they finished above us. We finished last. Now, here's what we did. We brought in a head coach whose credentials were a developmental team head coach. I don't know if that's great for being the head coach of an MLS squad. We brought in a $4 million striker who has potential, but we weren't fully sure on. And our biggest signing still isn't here. This is called a rebuild, guys. There's a lot of positives, but there's going to be some bumps in the road. It stinks so badly that we are finishing that we are finishing games 2-1 against rivals big time rivals and it stinks even worse in Dallas when you feel like you scored a second goal and the referees cheat you and it stinks even harder when you're at home and the Austin fans are louder and prouder perhaps than the Dynamo fans and you give up a goal. And I'm not saying that Dynamo don't have good fans. I love it. But like you said, we're bringing them back in. We're bringing the fans back. They're not all there yet. Austin, you said it, Jake, new and shiny. They're showing up and they're they're showing out a little bit. And the team is showing out too. So let's go ahead and look ahead. I said we're prophesying this DC United game. Kyle, they've got a lot of craziness going on. Tell me about it. Yeah, we're going away to D.C. Uh, this coming weekend. They are last in the Eastern Conference right now, so always a good time to visit a team that is in last place. Um, although I will say they are only uh, three points off you know, of us where we are in our table in the Western Conference. So I think on paper, we're probably fairly even, but I know there's a lot of craziness going on over there. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at their results. <laughs> They're of eight games, three wins and five losses. So zero ties, which is kind of interesting. As Andy Bernard would say, uh, DC United does not tie games. They either win them or they lose them because they are unfair. So <laughs> at least they're doing things on their own terms. But yeah, I think it's a great time to bounce back away from home, take three points, restore some confidence in the Dynamo faithful on the Twitter sphere and uh, see if we can get things back on track. Yeah, Scroggins. So what what's the what's the matchup to watch there? Uh, for me, um, there's there's two that I would keep my eyes on. First of all, it, it's going to be the battle between the wingbacks uh, because DC has been trying out like a three four two one type formation. Um, their wingbacks uh, get forward, and their wingbacks have been really good for other teams. <laughs> Brad Smith has been fantastic uh, during his time for Seattle, and Julian Gressel was actually getting shouts from German media to get called up to the German national team during his time with Atlanta, uh, which now seems like absolute insanity. But, uh, but I mean, those guys have produced before and you just th got to think that maybe a little bit of that, you know, DC stank is on them and who knows when they're going to shake that off. And, and uh, so we'll see how they do if they keep our fullbacks pinned and, and, uh, and, 
keep them from pushing up, then I think we're going to have a bad time. The other thing that I worry about is uh, DC United's new DP signing, Taxi Fountas. Uh, he's... Um, he's a Greek uh, international player, and I I want to sk- say it was his debut game. He scored a brace. He yeah. looks really good. And the thing that worries me there is that his sweet spot is that like just above the 18 yard box, you know, standing 20 to 25 yards out, and that happens to be the softest spot of our defense. We don't, we just, for whatever reason, ignore anybody that has the ball there, don't close them down. And that scares the bejesus out of me because that uh, that Greek freak could probably slap one in from that distance. Yeah, I'm really hoping uh, our center backs learn the lesson and they close down the guys just outside the box. Give me your score prediction, Scroggin. Yeah, I'm... Um... I'm afraid that their wingbacks are going to win and keep Lundy and Griff back. And so I feel like we're going to have another 2-1 loss. 2-1 loss. I don't want that to happen. Jake, what's yours? Give me a better prediction. (laughs) I think the best I can give you right now is a 1-1 draw. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, who scores for us? Sevis. Amen to that. Kyle. Tell me how we win this game. <laughs> we win this game 2-0, Sinski Man. Yeah. I told you I'm coming Ooh. in with fun, positive energy tonight. <laughs> and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna go away from home, take three points, two nil, Sebus and Coco on the score sheet. Guys, we just got cheated and a little outplayed into a two-one back-to-back two-one defeats. I think we go to DC United and we're gonna slap some hurting on them. I think. Foth is going to score. I think Sebus is going to score. And I'm almost 100% sure that this is the game where Thor scores. I have Naga's ear, and he told me that he feels like this is the one. (laughs) So I'm thinking 3-0 victory. I think the guys really want to come back. They want to play hard. They're tired of losing. The defense is going to shore up whatever issues that they've been having here lately, not closing down, kind of getting to guys way too late. I don't think we're going to have to see a lot of last-second heroics it's a 3-0 victory, and DC United wishes they had never seen the front or back of the Houston Dynamo. And you know what, guys? Let's go ahead and wrap this up. We're going to DC United, and my favorite player of all time played for them, Wayne Rooney. And that has me pondering the big question. Who is your favorite big-name player to make their way across the seas to the old MLS? Kyle, who you got for me? Sinski, you're going to like this one. My uh, answer is David Beckham. Ooh, I do like that. And I know you've only been a United fan for about 45 minutes, but wow. he used to play for... <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, he had a big jumping off point in his career back in the 90s with Manchester United. And as a young soccer fan playing FIFA 2000, I loved playing with Man United, with David Beckham, with Ryan Giggs, with Paul Scholes. I don't know if you know this about me, Sinski. I was a big United fan back in the day when I when I was a wee babe but I can remember being in high school when Beckham made his move to the MLS and it was the real first big move that the MLS had made I remember when I was 17 there were reports of him coming here and making 250 million dollars across five years which I just learned is actually a very inflated number to what he actually earned across five years (laughs) but I remember it being the biggest news I could ever imagine as far as soccer goes in America and it really was I mean he came here and he basically changed how branding works in the MLS, how people make money, how the designated player system works. The guy had a great career here. He partnered well with Landon Donovan and Robbie Keane. Big fan of him as well. So yeah, David Beckham, uh, he always he always has my heart as far as big name players that have made their way to the States. I love that you used David Beckham. That really warms my heart. For the record, I have been a United fan since Louis Van All took over. I am not some just that's like five coaches ago. I'm not counting that properly. So, but like, it was so that years? was what two and, seasons? <laughs> wow. Wow, you guys are haters. You guys are haters. Scroggins, who's your favorite big name guy to play in the MLS? Oh man, there's so many to choose from, and there's so many categories that you could fit into. Like uh, Bradley Wright Phillips just came over and made a name for himself. He was, you know, the lesser son of a famous player. Came over here and just freaking had a career, had a life. Uh, Diego Valeri has, is a joy to watch. Um, Clint Dempsey and Obafemi Martins back in the day, just like I mean, they were so good. Um, Juan Dalowski, 
Uh, you gotta love Wando, MLS Wando, man. So much fun to watch. You don't have to love Wando. Yes, you do. You really, if you love the league, you love Wando. Before I knew anything about soccer, I knew you didn't want to love Wondolowski. Keep (laughs) his name out of your mouth. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) But for me, for me, the best DP, my favorite DP of all time, Boniac Garcia. Hands down. El Presidente. The man is, uh, he deserved better from our club. Um, But when I think of, man, what DP just sums up the the league to me, it's Boniac. That's him. I should have known you'd go with the Homer choice. I thought it'd be Jake, but I should have known it was you. Jake? All right. Now, I know what you're all expecting me to say. And look, you're not far off here. I do love Steven Gerrard. Uh, I don't want to become the Liverpool guy. <laughs> Liverpool has so many guys right now. I want to be the Dynamo guy. So I don't want to do that. Uh, I, I love Steven Gerrard. He had a really rough first year coming over. And I think it showed how the league had grown. And and once he saw what the league was and he took it seriously, he had a much better second year. So uh, I got to say I like that one. But I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Mainly because he went to LA Galaxy. And, and I'll never... Uh, do anything but hate them. So instead, I'm going to go with Thierry Henry. And I'm going to go with Thierry Henry for for two reasons. One, he he might, he he is among the best players to ever play in MLS for sure. I think he's a cut above most players. What he could do with a ball bordered on magic for sure. But I think my favorite thing about it is it was the most true to the brand of retirement league ever because he came over to play in the MLS but he just flat out said, oh, some of your stadiums are turf. I'm not going to play on those. So he would not <laughs> play the away games in the Pacific Northwest because, quite frankly, he didn't have to. He was Thierry Henry and he was above it. Uh, so that's that's my favorite story of a European superstar making his way to the MLS. Boy, have I been reading his name wrong all this time. <laughs> it was Terry. <laughs> <laughs> old, ter- old Terry Henry. Well, I've told y'all mine. I'm uh, I'm in love with Wayne Rooney. He's my favorite footballer of all time. But Zlatan was also a great one. I got to see him play. I didn't get to see Wayne Rooney play. So I remember I was at a Dynamo game with my coworker and Zlatan's playing. And we won this game, which was pretty incredible. But Zlatan did the most effortless chip goal from yeah. somewhere around the edge of the box. And it looked like he maybe touched the ball, maybe didn't. I'm not sure. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in football at a game. Um, so that might be my favorite moment, but my favorite player has got to be Wayne Rooney. Absolutely. Shout out to Dom Dwyer. <laughs> well, faithful. We're grateful for y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening. Stay faithful. Thank you for listening to the Dynamo Faithful Podcast. We are Chris Zinski, Manny Farcier, Christopher Scroggins, Jake Berry, Kyle McGuire, and Emmett Rumfield. Dynamo Faithful is produced by Ian Gregory Graff and marketing and social media from Zach Polo. Music provided by Alex Grohl on Pixabay. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at dynamo underscore faithful and send your questions to dynamofaithfulpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and stay faithful. Unique New York. Unique New York. The arsonist has oddly shaped feet. (laughs) So let's go ahead and wrap up this podcast. We've got our... That's that. (laughs) That's blueprint quality right there. (laughs) (laughs) Three... Two, one. <laughs> Jake is done. <laughs> Chris, you killed her. <laughs>